As your interior designer, I'm saying do everything in black. Walls, sofa, carpet, goldfish, everything. Um, can we not have a bit of colour? Maybe one tiny highlight in Battleship Grey. It's your home, so you should be in charge. With Avancard's flexible home improvement loan, you are. You can choose any repayment period that works best for you up to 84 months. That's seven years. Find out more at avancard.ie. Lending criteria, terms and conditions apply. New applications only. Seven-year term applies to minimum loan value of €20,000. Avancard Dock Trading as Avancard is regulated by the Central Bank of Ireland. What's going on, guys? It's your man with the plan, Samuel Plan. Coming back at you once again with another brand new installment of Sports Entertainment is Dead right here on Lords of Pain Radio. Welcome to the show, ladies and gents. I say it every week, I'll say it again this week. If you did miss last week's episode of SCID, you can still go catch it on demand. Just head over to Blog Talk Radio, lordsofpain.net, or wherever it is you may download your podcasts from, and it should be available for you to listen on demand. It was, of course, my performance art review of the top matches of WrestleMania 35, which, believe it or not, was only a couple of weeks ago, even though it feels like a lifetime ago. And hell, while you're at it, make sure you check out all of the other great episodes we have of all the various series of podcasts you can find exclusively here on LOP Radio. We have a show going out to you each and every single day of the week, and they're all very good. They deal with everything from New Japan, Ring of Honor, WWE, even AEW on our Saturday show, so make sure you check out all of that good stuff. On with this week's show then, and before we get cracking, a quick word about the future of Sports Entertainment is Dead is something that I wanted to have with you good folks listening at home, or at work, or wherever it is you may be. Maybe even you're listening on a commute. Regardless, I wanted to take a few seconds here and just talk to you very briefly about a little change that I'm making to Sports Entertainment is Dead. First of all, don't worry, the show's going absolutely nowhere for the foreseeable future. I have a blast doing SEID and I want to carry on doing SEID. But for those of you who may listen to all the various shows here on Lords of Pain Radio, who specifically listen to our live post-pay-per-view podcast, Aftershock, you'll know, of course, that I recently stepped down from permanent co-hosting duties on that Aftershock show alongside our good friend from Late Shift fame, Steve, primarily, briefly, because I'm doing a little bit of really real-life laundry. And one of the things that I'm trying to better do is not lose sight of the priorities I have in my really real life, while at the same time balancing the obligations that I've voluntarily taken on here at LordsOfPaint.net. As a result, I stepped down from Aftershock. Steve is going to carry on pumping those shows out after every single podcast, though. He does an absolutely brilliant job. So do make sure that you're still checking those podcasts out after every single WWE pay-per-view with Steve to to break down all of the action in the immediate aftermath. I, however, won't be doing those shows anymore, and in the interest of continuing trying to strike that balance, I've decided to make a little bit of a format change here at Sports Entertainment is Dead as well. I've decided to take it from a one-hour show, sometimes more, to around a 30-minute to 40-minute show instead. I want it to be quicker, punchier, faster on the draw, and I want to make it the best damn podcast going on LOPR and out there on the internet, hell, why not have that ambition? I can only do that with your help, though, so if you do have any constructive criticism about the show, my hosting of it, any of the discussion points I might hit upon on the show, make sure you let them be known to me. You can hit me up on social media via email, through the forum here at LOP, various means, 
And as is tradition, I will, of course, plug all of those means at the far end of this show. So it's a new look, Sports Entertainment is dead. I hope a new feel, Sports Entertainment is dead. But I hope it's going to be just as good, if not better, for being that little bit thriftier than it was previously. All right, well, that's enough of all that blathering on. Let's get to the real meat of this week's show. And there's a couple of things that I want to touch on, all surrounding the post-WrestleMania 35 landscape of the World, well, I was going to say the World Wrestling Federation, but it hasn't been that in many years. I've been watching a little bit too much new gen recently, I guess. But the post-WrestleMania 35 landscape for WWE, specifically Monday Night Raw, because of course I am recording this show, as I so often do, on a Tuesday evening UK time, which means SmackDown Live hasn't yet gone out. And we can, of course, expect more changes to the landscape later on today as of recording on SmackDown Live. Now, instead, I want to focus on the Raw side of things. In a little while, I'm going to talk about my thoughts and feelings on Seth Rollins' future as the Universal Champion and the kind of title reign that I would hope to see from him. But before we get to that good stuff, we've, of course, below the of me not to talk at least a little bit about the Superstar Shake-Up. It's one of the major events in WWE's calendar year, though, frankly, you wouldn't think it. And this year, I find myself... A little bit torn, I guess, is the word that you should use, because I left WrestleMania 35, indeed, I made no secret of saying as much on Aftershock, on the right side of the pond, even on this show last week. I left WrestleMania 35 week, including the post-WrestleMania uh, TVs, feeling very much re-enthused with the product, refreshed with the product. I felt like it was a restrained, far more disciplined week of WWE programming that we had in the biggest week of their calendar year last year. And I was excited about what was going to happen in the coming months now that they'd got sort of full-time fever back on track and part-time fever fever had very much passed. And when I woke up and I read the raw results, as I so often do, my heart kind of sank this week because it felt like we were immediately back to where we had been before WrestleMania 35. Any discipline out the window, we now have NXT Tag Team Champions drafted to Monday Night Raw while still being the NXT Tag Team Champions under one name in Developmental, under another name on the main roster, the name of which is rather quite appalling, though I have to say I've not been quite as sucked into all the controversy of that as so many other people seem to have been on Twitter. Hey, it's one of those things. Lest we forget, you know, Mankind was originally Mankind the Mauler, The Undertaker was originally Kane the Undertaker, and... The list of terrible names in WWE lore is almost endless, so I wouldn't worry too much about it. It wouldn't shock me if the name reverted anytime soon. Alternatively, it wouldn't shock me if they start referring to them by their their newly adopted individual names instead. Or it wouldn't shock me if they stuck to it and we all stopped being bothered about it within a few weeks, because of course this is the same atmosphere that saw us all protesting the fact that Universal Championship was a red belt back in 2016, and now you just take it for granted, right? So I'm not too caught up on that, but nonetheless, it was the Viking experience, or the War Raiders, or whatever you may want to call them, and that controversy surrounding their name change as they were drafted to Raw this week, quite unexpectedly, I have to say, that to me represented a microcosm of why it was so spirit-shattering reading those Raw results this week after having had such a positive week last week, because it was a key example of the chaos that riddled WWE since the end of Royal Rumble to WrestleMania itself, where nothing seemed to make any sense. Rules were made up on the spot. One week of TV would operate in a different different way to the week before, which would operate a different way to two weeks after the fact. And nothing really seemed to have any consequence as a result. How do you create a world in which events matter, 
when events so seemingly don't matter at all. And that's something that I wanted to touch upon in the first 15 minutes of this week's show, or indeed the 10 minutes we're racing along already. I'm liking this new energy. Um, because world building is something that I've spoken about on other shows in the past. I've spoken about it on Aftershock. I've spoken about it on the right side of the pond. I've even spoken about it on this show. I've written about it in my Just Business Sunday column, which you can, of course, catch every Sunday dropping on lordsofpain.net. Because world building is vitally important and an inherent part, indeed very much the primary part, I believe, of any process involved in storytelling. WWE, again, champion themselves as storytellers, and they are very much uh, very much uh, subjected to the same stresses that any storytelling platform is subjected to. It doesn't matter whether it's a film or a book. You've heard me espouse this line time and time again on this show, so I'm not going to go over old ground. This is, of course, sports entertainment is dead. This is the show where we recognize... WWE is first and foremost a fiction before it is anything else. And this is the show that is all based upon the idea that the brightest future, not the only possible future, but in my mind, the brightest future that awaits professional wrestling is one that leans into the fact that it's fictional, that leads into the fact that it's very much a storytelling platform, and that consciously adopts the practices that are adopted by other storytelling platforms. I'm thinking perhaps the most prominent example of this is the world of film, or indeed fantasy literature, where world building is so obviously a part of the process. You think about shows or books like Game of Thrones, even going as far back as something like Lord of the Rings, even going further back than that to something like The Once and Future King, what you've got to realise is that all of these all of these worlds operated within their own set of rules. There was a logic to how things worked, whether it's the, the elven language that Tolkien created in Lord of the Rings or the, 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 the feudal system of society that George R. R. Martin created in Game of Thrones or even the means by which magic operates in, say, the Harry Potter universe created by J.K. Rowling. It doesn't matter whether it's Star Trek or Star Wars or any of the kind of the nerdy franchises that have risen to the pop culture ascendancy in recent years. They all operate with a sense of their own rules and regulations because it's only when you operate within that sense of rule and regulation that you're able to create events that have consequences that speak for themselves and events take on a new meaning. For example, think about the fact that the Usos got drafted to Monday Night Raw this week. You might think that's exciting, right? The Usos on a new show with new teams to to feud against. Well, yeah, that's all great, but it's the kind of the meta view that we've adopted as wrestling fans, and Sports Entertainment is Dead is all about taking us back to our roots as wrestling fans and thinking about the fiction, and you ask yourself, why would I be excited from the in-universe perspective about the Usos moving to Monday Night Raw, when I've seen you know, SmackDown superstars appear on Raw, and Raw superstars appear on SmackDown, and main roster superstars appear in NXT, and NXT superstars appear on the main roster for months and months and months now. Why should I even be excited by the prospect of anybody moving any brand in a world where Kevin Owens went on sabbatical as a member of the Raw roster, came back as a member of the SmackDown Live roster, and there was no explanation in between as to why that happened? Or to what that means. Why should we care about who the next GM is or the commissioner is when we have absolutely no idea what their powers actually are, what role they actually play, especially in a world where matches are so seemingly randomly booked after the show itself starts? And what should we make of that? Why should we be bothered about any matches announced ahead of time when we know there's just as much chance of it not going ahead the next week when it randomly turns into a tag team match because apparently we can change matches on the fly like that even though this is meant to be a program with pre-booked matches on it. 
WWE suffers from a debilitating condition in which there is no world building. And that's why my heart was kind of lifted when I read recently about the idea of them bringing on a continuity editor. Because not only does that extend to the idea that WWE play fast and loose with continuity from one week to another, even down to something as simple as Johnny Gargano and Tommaso Ciampa turning up on the main roster as good guys who happily team together while in NXT they're at each other's throats. Tommaso Ciampa is very much a bad guy and Johnny Gargano undergoing a journey into the heart of his own darkness. Not only does it extend to that, I can only hope that a continuity continuity editor becomes something of a showrunner, which is something of a you know a godfather role that oversees the fictional universe. Because every major shared universe franchise, which is what WWE is at its heart, is a shared universe franchise. Every single one that's been successful in pop culture has someone akin to a showrunner. Doesn't matter whether it's Vice or or or, or uh, I forget their names now. The guys who who are the prominent writers, preeminent writers on Game. Thrones, doesn't matter whether it's Kevin Feige in the MCU, even if it's something as simple as J.K. Rowling who wrote all the Harry Potter books, there's usually somebody at the heart of one of these massively successful pop culture franchises, I don't know who does it, but I know that the Star Wars universe has one as well, who controls what's canon, what isn't canon, who controls uh, what is allowed and what isn't allowed, who essentially owns what's referred to as the series Bible, which is the core set of rules by which the in-universe logic that you've created operates. And when you have one of those, what you find is that when the Usos get drafted to, to Monday Night Raw, if that takes place in a fictional universe where there are clear rules that are stuck to ardently throughout a prolonged period of time, then fans are able to immediately understand what the potential creative consequences are. It taps automatically much quicker into the the storytelling and indeed the storytelling becomes so much more easy because that's bad grammar such so easier because what you have is a situation where you go uh, okay well we want to do X with character Y, but that's prevented by rules A, B, and C in this series Bible we, we've created, so how do we get around that? And then the process of getting around that is likely to suggest to you part of the story in itself. Suddenly you have two weeks of television that you didn't have before simply by answering the questions, uh, answer, uh, providing the answers to the questions posed by the problems presented by the, the, the in-universe logic. And listen, you don't have to explain to the audience the role of a GM, what a GM can and can't do. You don't have to actively make that a part of what you present on television. You just have to know it and for it to operate in the background. And gradually, as you develop that, continuity presents itself. You create a center of gravity around which your fiction operates. It's why it's so important. World building is a necessary aspect of any fictional enterprise. doesn't matter whether you're writing a book. doesn't matter whether you're writing a screenplay. doesn't matter whether you're producing some epic shared universe on film. Because lest we forget, decades before the MCU was ever a thing, the WWF back in the 1980s, was already creating a shared universe, was already operating in that sphere. The birth of sports entertainment, even though I believe it's dead now, brought about that notion. I mean, you could even go further back to, to, to pre-modernity with the territory system and talents like Ric Flair roving from territory to territory and say that the continental wrestling scene in the United States was in and of itself a shared fictional universe. Because, sure, you know, Ric Flair was operating in, in a territory uh, for a certain period of time then would move to another one. And in the meantime, as he's moving between all these territories as the NWA World Heavyweight Champion, and forgive me because my knowledge of, of pre-modern pro wrestling isn't great, so I might be getting this completely tits up, but 
pardon the language. Um, but the point that I'm trying to make is every territory would have their own characters already operating in that sphere, and then in comes another one from a different different sphere altogether, and that's where the magic happens. It's like Iron Man showing up in a Captain America film, right? And this was all happening in the wrestling world before it was ever happening in any other world in pop culture. It is a uniquely professional wrestling innovation. I would venture, that, that should be embraced. And WWE are in a prime position to embrace it because especially now we live in the world where they're doing these wonderful Worlds Collide specials. I can't wait to check out uh, this week's, which you could check out on uh, WWE's network, of course. It happened during WrestleMania week. I like to see it as something of a WrestleMania under WrestleMania itself. But suddenly even events like that take on new meaning because, you know, it, what do I care that Tyler Breeze is wrestling Roderick Strong when for all I know Roderick Strong's going to turn up on 205 Live next week while Tyler Breeze turns up on SmackDown Live even though he's meant to be a Raw guy, right? When you, when you fail to adopt those, that, that system of, of rule, you fail to create any kind of uh, a sense of consequence or drama around simple things that could otherwise have a sense of drama about them. And then you, you, it's like sinking in quicksand. The more you try to get out, the, the deeper you'll sink. That's the situation WWE in. I can, are in. I can only hope that the continuity editor that they're bringing on board is going to help begin the process of creating a center of gravity. I'm an optimist, but I'm not foolish. I know that it's unlikely this is ever going to happen in WWE, but I can still hope, right? And if it does happen, I think a lot of their problems when it comes to storytelling will almost solve themselves as the process, as the practice becomes more ingrained within them. One thing I would say, though, is that it cannot be Vince McMahon in that role because we have seen how short his attention span is and it seems more and more he is the issue at the heart of the the, the ever-growing web of issues that currently... Uh, that currently plague uh, WWE and its its creative output. So for me, the the real talking point coming out of this week's Raw wasn't so much the real disaster, wasn't so much the awful name they've given to the War Raiders now, the Viking experience. It's the fact that there were 14 draft moves on Monday Night Raw, and I didn't really care about a single one of them. But that's enough cynicism for now. I'm going to take us to a very quick advert break. And when we come back, I'm going to be talking a little bit about Seth Rollins and the Universal Championship and the kind of title reign that I hope the Kingslayer, Beastslayer, Architect, whatever you may want to call him, I call him my hero, is going to go and have. So more on that in a second. Stick with me, folks. Welcome back to the show, guys. Thanks for sticking with me on this new feel, Sports Entertainment is Dead. And remember, I want to hear your thoughts on how you think Sports Entertainment is Dead is doing as a show on social media, through the forum, via email, through any of the means I'm going to plug at the end of this show because I want to make this the best damn podcast going. I can only do that with your help. Okay, so we've talked a little bit about shared universe. We've talked a little bit about world building and how important it is and how it might begin to present resolutions to some of WWE's creative problems. One thing they have gotten right, though, in my mind, and you'll probably laugh because, of course, I would say this, is that Seth Rollins is now the Universal Champion, and I can't tell you how excited I am to see this because right now, for the last few years, my investment in Seth Rollins has primarily been the journey that his character has been on, the arc that has very much inspired me to live my life in what I consider to be a better way 
uh, after having seen the journey that Seth has been on. It's been an inspiration to me both in terms of the fiction, but also seeing the performer go from strength to strength in real life as well and be as motivated as he is. It's a real inspiration to me, and I think that's kind of cool. However, now that that journey is sort of complete, we've seen the end of the beginning, as I've been calling it, of Seth Rollins' journey in WWE. Now we get to move on to the next chapter where he feels to me very much like A, if not the top guy given the situation Roman Reigns continues to recover from. And that means that the inspiration has given way now to sheer excitement. I can't wait to see what Seth begins to do as Universal Champion once all the chaos of this shake-up and WrestleMania and everything is, has subsided. And hopefully next week, that's what we're going to see. We're going to see a little normalcy return. Maybe we'll see a little balance return. Maybe we'll get a clearer idea about the direction WWE are going to start going in, heading into Money in the Bank, their next pay-per-view in May. My head therefore turns to wondering who his first opponent or opponents is going to be for the Universal Championship. But more importantly, my head then turns to the kind of title reign that I hope Seth Rollins goes on to have. And this is something that's been playing on my mind a lot recently. If you follow me on social media, you'll know that I'm already well into doing, almost finished in fact, the research for my second book. It will be a sequel to my first book, which you can, by the way, still buy on Amazon. 101 WWE matches to see before you die will lay out explicitly all what I believe are the benefits of seeing professional wrestling as performance art before you see it as anything else and will hopefully uh, further explain why it is I believe sports entertainment really is dead so you can still go pick that up but my second book is going to be a sequel to that but it's going to be specifically focused on my favorite era in WWE history which is the much maligned unfairly maligned and utterly misrepresented new generation era. And one of the wonderful things about the New Generation era was that it was really a time in which the Challenger of the Month formula was utilized uh, in very prominent fashion for their world champions. Less so with Diesel, more so with Sean. Brett kind of almost by just default because his title reigns were were much more kind of sporadic and intermittent and and considerably shorter. So it kind of almost lent itself to that format anyway. But Sean's 96 world title run, I know that it's kind of looked on as a bit of a dismal failure in terms of the impact that it had on ratings and whatnot. And I know that people kind of sniff at the new gen creatively anyway, but you'll hear me defend the new gen to the ends of the earth. That's a show unto itself. Certainly I don't have the title anymore to do that right now but Sean's title reign is in 96 is a great example of challenger of the month during that title reign he would feud with the likes of obviously Bret Hart but he would have a caucus of matches with Diesel as well British Bulldog, uh, Vader, Sid, Mankind, and interspersed throughout all of that on TV. He had great matches with Hunter Hearst Helmsley. He had a title match against Goldust as well. The Challenger of the Month format was very much, as I said, in the ascendancy during that title reign. And the wonderful thing about that is not only does it lend itself to exactly what I was talking about at the first half of this show, which is that sense of shared universe, of everyone sharing a shared space, everyone vying for that world championship position, that world championship challenge but for a performer like Seth much like Sean in 96 who benefits so greatly from being able to demonstrate what he can do in the ring against a whole variety of different characters and in-ring styles it's just it lends itself to a great deal of freshness and a sense of freshness because one thing I don't want to see from this title reign and it's almost a case of, of genre, you know, and, and I mean, I'm not quite prepared to go to the extent of saying there are genres of title reign. I think that's a little bit too much of a strain. But you think about the different kinds of title range. Yeah, I think where AJ Styles kind of fell down 
was that, yes, you had a prolonged title ring, which I am generally more in favour of as a fan, but the issue there was that the stories that were told during that title reign were, were minimal in number and almost identical in tone. I mean, the Shinsuke Nakamura storyline went on for a very long time, followed by a Samoa Joe storyline that went on for a very long time, followed by a Daniel Bryan storyline that went on for a relatively long time, and they all focused on getting under the skin of AJ Styles as a champion, which is great because you get a sense of AJ Styles as a character there, but the issue was there wasn't much variety, and so you almost get into this position of the worst of both worlds where you have a prolonged championship reign that feels stale, even though it's a great performer who's who's carrying the championship and it's a it's an established title reign, a strong sense of roster positioning, all of which goes to help the product. But that ultimately the stories just aren't that great, even though you've got this potential and and you think that if AJ Styles had if they'd have gone down the route with AJ like they did where he had that one month feud with Rusev and maybe he had short feuds with Joe and Nakamura and Brian and more feuds with guys like Andrade and, and other talents on SmackDown Live then they may have been onto a winner you think about Seth's Intercontinental Championship reign last year, you've got an automatic blueprint right there because a lot of Seth's reign as Intercontinental Champion did in fact remind me of Sean's reign as World Champion in 96. People underestimate the breadth of opponents that Seth Rollins was able to uh, to defend the IC Championship against. He defended it against Dolph Ziggler, of course, but he defended it against The Miz, Finn Balor, Samoa Joe, Dean Ambrose. I don't, I'm not sure if he ever defended it against Drew McIntyre, but certainly Drew was a prominent opponent of his during that championship reign, but he also defended it against Mojo Rawley, Jinder Mahal, Elias as well. I mean, the list was quite extensive and in a whole variety of different kinds of matches, and that was what was wonderful. There's a reason why Seth was the only man not named Bret Hart to get the Intercontinental Championship back into the main event of a pay-per-view, and the only man to have ever done it without the kind of the, the beneficial circumstance of a major stadium show and a, a nationalistic core to the storyline he was telling, which is a singular and utterly, quite literally unprecedented achievement. That's the kind of title reign I want to see. And with the kind of new faces we've had on Raw, think about AJ Styles. But you also think, you know, if, again, this is got, I'm recording this before SmackDown Live, so if Braun's still around, if Drew's still around, hell, if Corbin's still around, Lashley, you've got, you've got, you've got a whole lineup of stars. Andrade now is on, on Monday Night Raw. Finn, there's history there. Roman obviously lends itself well to the situation. Even lower, lower down the card, you know, even if you wanted to randomly give Chad Gable a moment in the sun or Bobby Roode a moment in the sun if they're still with the brand of course I mean the, the list is almost endless and that's the exciting aspect of this is yes we'll, go, we, we will hopefully get a prolonged championship title reign but we'll get one with plenty of variety and because Seth Rollins' character has been over such a unique and singular journey that it's that it that it just it it's so brilliantly primed to see how he would react to a whole wealth of different characters, how he would react to a Jinder Mahal who reached the pinnacle of the company and fell far from it uh, afterwards and, 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 and has really kind of shown himself to not be able to carry that same motivation. Talk about the character. That same motivation that he had when he was champion in the way that, that Seth had. Or how he might respond specifically to Finn Balor if they ever come back into contact. One notion that I love, the idea of is, is the meeting once again 
in the main event of SummerSlam over the Universal Championship, right where it all started, where Seth derailed Finn's career, especially if Finn's still the Intercontinental Champion and you get a champion versus champion level of importance to that. I'm not going to advocate to see Seth as a double champion again, but you know, one of the one of the forgotten arts is being able to take a match to what is ostensibly, you know, a situation where nobody wins, but to do it in a dramatic and effective way. I think that can still be done. I think Finn and Seth are two performers and two characters, who, by the way, every time they meet, they have a ferocious competitiveness with one another. But, of course, we've seen The Miz return to Monday Night Raw as well, and how poetic would it be to see The Miz challenge Seth Rollins for the Universal Championship to take the next step in his career in the way that Seth challenged The Miz for the Intercontinental Championship to reignite his own career last year. So there's a story there as well. I think the most intriguing prospect to me, though, is a match that I have said is genuinely, to my mind, the true dream match, to use that in inverted commas, of this generation, which is Seth Rollins versus AJ Styles. And I know that there's been a lot of talk, in particular the recent past about Shawn Michaels. There was all that bump about whether AJ would wrestle him uh, at a Royal Rumble. I think after November last year, it's pretty clear we're not going to see Shawn wrestle again, and I think it's pretty clear we shouldn't see Shawn wrestle again. Uh, and there's always been that comparison. Isn't it? Everyone rushes to that comparison. He's the, he's the Shawn Michaels. Of, he's the next Shawn. He's the Shawn of this generation. People have said it about Seth. People have said it about AJ. I've always compared Seth more to Randy Savage than Shawn. But if you did want to compare him to Shawn, then I've always said this. People forget that AJ Styles is actually a member of the outgoing generation, not the incoming one or the current one, in that he's the same age as, as Cena, and he was very much of that class. Yes, he's fresh in WWE, but in the narrative of professional wrestling, he's of Cena's generation. He can still go, I'm not saying he can't, and he still has a place on the roster, I'm not saying he hasn't. But that means that he was the Shawn Michaels after Shawn Michaels, which means that to me, Seth is actually, if you want to really get carried away with these silly comparisons, the Shawn Michaels after the Shawn Michaels after the Shawn Michaels. In other words, AJ is the Shawn of his generation, Seth is the Shawn of his, so you're getting those two clashing, which is a dream match in and of itself. You're also getting the two halves of the 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 brand the second brand extension era in a way that I'd always hoped Dean Dean would but you know for whatever reason and it's a whole conversation for another time AJ kind of supplanted Dean on SmackDown uh, and I've always said that while Seth was busy build, burning down the kingdom of of Triple H and Stephanie on Monday Night Raw AJ Styles was busy building the house of SmackDown Live so you have those two kind of uh, those two narratives playing parallel to one another, but moving in opposite directions. One burning something down, the other building it up. Well, now Seth has burnt down the kingdom. He's burnt down the kingdom of Triple H, and he's burnt down the kingdom of the Beast as well. And that means that what he's standing on is an ashen desert, ready to have something fresh built. So how timely is it that AJ Styles has turned up? And how threatening is it to a man like Seth Rollins that AJ Styles has turned up? Because Seth's burnt it down, ready for it to be rebuilt. And yes, he's the architect, but SmackDown Live was the house AJ Styles built. Now he gets to build a whole new house on the, the, the desert of ash and cinder that Seth is responsible for creating. So seeing that race between those two characters, people are going to get excited about the performers. People are going to get excited about the meta-narrative of Seth versus AJ. But to me, it's the characters that really lend itself to an exciting situation there and the comparison of their respective journeys since the introduction of the second brand extension. And I think that that's actually a journey AJ Styles desperately needs. I think we need to see some greater character fleshed out for AJ Styles. And if what we saw between the chemistry between AJ and Roman Reigns in 2016 is anything to go by, then I would think that AJ and 
Seth are capable of of absolutely just destroying expectations. Well, what here's the fascinating thing because you automatically move to the assumption that maybe we're going to head towards Seth versus Roman as a major main event at some point on a big four pay per view. You would hope, or at least I would at WrestleMania next year. It feels like it absolutely should be the first all-contemporary talent WrestleMania main event to occur of this generation. I know you could kind of maybe class Kofi and Brian as one, but I'm talking about show-closing, you know, literal main event of the old-school definition. And Seth versus Roman feels like it's lent itself to that. But at the same time, would I be adverse to seeing Seth versus AJ in that role? Because, listen, Seth and AJ are in a position now that very few pairs of talents have ever been in. I've always said, I've always bought into this notion of spiritual sequels, and it's something I talk about in my book, 101 WWE Matches to See Before You Die, which again, you can pick up on Amazon, where I talk about Sean versus Jericho at WrestleMania 19 as something of a spiritual sequel because of its balletic nature to Randy Savage versus Ricky Steamboat. And when you think about... WrestleMania main events. You think about Hulk Hogan versus Ultimate Warrior, the ultimate big man match, the the ultimate match for its time, so expressive of its time, right? Then you think about Brett versus Sean at WrestleMania 12, technical masterclass that puts storytelling in the ring before anything else, very cerebral uh, and very much expressive of its time, the ultimate technicians match. Then you think about Rock versus Austin, and you think about, okay, how expressive, how perfect expressive of its time that match was. You know, the 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 the, the perfect attitudinal brawl at WrestleMania 17. And while it kind of, you know, the theory kind of loses itself a little bit as you progress beyond that point, nonetheless, the fact is there's a legacy there that you could easily see Seth versus AJ fitting into because isn't that match perfectly expressive of its time as well? Isn't that the ultimate uber athlete match perfectly expressive of the age we live in today? So not only do you now find yourself in the situation with AJ Styles on Raw, whereby Monday Night Raw could very well come to be defined by the race between Seth Rollins and AJ Styles to build a new world on top of the ash and cinder of the world Seth Rollins just burnt down. And all the tension that comes with that. AJ Styles wanted to make his mark. Seth feeling perhaps like he's 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 the one who's owed this opportunity because he's the one who created it. And whether or not that lends itself to him rediscovering the sense of entitlement that plagued him for years. I mean, there's fascinating character wrinkles there already. But also, it's like a race now between AJ Styles and Roman Reigns, presuming Seth gets to the WrestleMania main event next year, which I appreciate is no guarantee. But of course, I'm a Seth guy, so I, he's got my backing 110,000 million billion percent. And I'm going to go ahead and presume he's going to be in that main event until he isn't. But it's like a race. Should WrestleMania's main event next year for Monday Night Raw be Seth Rollins versus Roman Reigns? Which tells a story in its own right between two brothers. Or should it be Seth Rollins versus AJ Styles, which tells a different kind of, ma- of story in its own right as well, and one that isn't just meta. It has a meta level to it, but one that has a, 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 a deceptively, easily missed layer of character to it that I think AJ definitely needs, and that Seth very much lends himself well to. And of course then, 
On top of AJ Styles and Roman Reigns and all these other guys that I mentioned as well, you have Bray Wyatt. Bray and Seth have encountered one another in the past, and Bray Wyatt has a tendency to appear in people's lives when things are particularly emotional. Now, we're seeing these vignettes that we presume lead to the return of Bray Wyatt. It would be great to see him return to a major spot on that Monday Night Raw roster to maybe rekindle some of that lost momentum of his career, to use a word that I'm not particularly fond of, to recreate a sense of the menace and threat that he came with from the very beginning. And Seth Rollins is the universal champion, having gone through the the the, the labyrinthine experience of his uh, almost self-exorcism of his demons and ghosts and insecurities over the few years. Like, Bray Wyatt, I've described him in the past as a walking, talking characterization machine. So, absolutely, he's another one who could be very well suited to encountering Seth Rollins as Universal Champion. And this, all of this, leads me to making my final point, which is this. The reason why Seth Rollins is the perfect person to be carrying that Universal Championship to build Monday Night Raw... Blah, 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 Monday... Yeah, Monday Night Raw around, there's a tongue twister for you, uh, is not just because he's an incredibly talented performer who can have great matches with all manners of different styles of wrestler, but because I dare say that he is one of, if not the most, three-dimensionally fully formed character at this point that WWE have on their main roster because of the unusual continuity that underpins his character journey over the preceding few years that has seen him go from... WrestleMania 31, stealing the the WWE Championship there, all the way through to WrestleMania 35, where he slayed the Beast, if not from beyond WrestleMania 31. And that means that that three-dimensional characterization he's enjoyed can be preyed upon in storylines against all manners of different characters, which will in turn help catalyze characterization for them. I've spent this show talking about the need, essentially, for WWE to get its act together and to create some semblance of synergy with its fiction. That's all we need. Seth Rollins as Universal Championship as Universal Champion on Monday Night Raw and the introduction of a continuity edi- editor backstage, if that does happen are both very positive moves in spite of the spirit-shattering return to chaotic form we saw this week that could indicate WWE might be on the verge of potentially, I'm very deliberately hedging my bets here, but potentially maybe beginning the process of getting over something of a hump over recent years. We can only see, I think the product is in good hands from the performance perspective, and I think Monday Night Raw immediately, just even before SmackDown Live is aired, already has a bright future with the additions of AJ Styles, with the addition of Miz, with the addition of the Usos and more besides. I'm looking forward now to just seeing little normality return to the product and, and where we head coming out of all the madness of WrestleMania season. Let's hope things do settle down just a little bit. Okay, with all that said, like I said, I'm going to keep these shows nice and short and fast-paced now, so I hope you've enjoyed it. If you've got any thoughts on either of the topics that I've discussed this week, or if you've got thoughts about this new format or any constructive criticism to lend, do please make it known to me. You can do so through a whole variety of means. The best and most effective way is, of course, through social media, so do find me on Twitter at LOP Plan or on Facebook by looking up Samuel Plan, and I will happily engage with you in conversation there. 
I would prefer you to find me on LOP's forums. Sign up to LOP's forums. It's free. There's no obligations or anything like that. It's a great community in the IWC to be a part of. There's threads about everything from wrestling to movies to music and everything in between. And there's a columns forum there where I would love to see you guys listening to this show. Try your hand at writing columns of your own because you could end up writing for LordsOfPain.net and we're always on the lookout for new blood, new talent, new people to share their ideas in column format. And if you're worried about not being that great, don't worry because the whole beauty of our system is that not only do you have complete creative freedom in a way you won't find on any other wrestling site, but so too do we have a great community of experienced writers ready and willing to provide you the constructive criticism you need to get better, just like they did for me way back when. So do sign up to LOP Forums. You can find me there, message me there, interact with me there, as well as all the other good folks that you read every week and listen to every week here on LordsOfPain.net. If you're old school, email me at samuel.plan101 at gmail.com, though I'm not necessarily going to see that very quickly uh, and uh, beyond anything else you can always drop me a comment on lordsofpain.net itself on the bottom of any of my columns that go up every Sunday or any of my podcasts that get posted on Wednesday as part of SEID or of course on Friday as part of the right side of the pond and you can catch me this week on the right side of the pond on Friday as well where I'm sure we'll have more thoughts on the current scene in WWE post superstar shakeup, future direction all that kind of stuff so check me out there and remember even though I'm not doing it anymore, keep checking out Aftershock after every single live pay-per-view. Steve works his arse off and he does a brilliant job, so do keep checking those out. And hell, we will do another Retro Shock sometime soon and I will still be a part of that show as well. So I hope you've enjoyed this week's show. I will, of course, see you the same time next week on this new format, SEID. And until then, stay safe, folks. Thanks for listening.